Welcome to the Shannon Plan. This is episode 95. We are in the dog days of summer, June, US Open coming up, Akash. <laughs> That's something to look forward to. Episode 95, episode Drake Jackson. So no mandatory minicamp, no off-season fluff. Um, last time when the 49ers did have minicamp, Nick Bosa was talking up Drake Jackson. Uh, the defense coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, was talking up Drake Jackson. So hopefully number 95 has a bright, bright season. Uh, they're going to need him. So not a lot of news going on, as you might imagine, but we're still holding out on the quarterback. So Jimmy Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield, Carolina Panthers. There's a love triangle going on here, and we're trying to figure out what's going to happen and when is it going to happen there's been some reports that I don't want to say that they're clashing, but some have said the 49ers are expected to release Jimmy Garoppolo. That could be sometime before the regular season. That could be tomorrow. Now that we're post June one, it makes sense that it's going to happen. The trade candidates are running out though. And that's where Carolina comes into play. Akash, fill us in on the latest Jimmy G Baker Carolina news. We turn to Jonathan Jones' report. Uh, I think he's with CBS Sports, and he said that if it feels like the Panthers and Baker Mayfield are progressing towards a trade that would send Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers, which effectively means that one of the last, probably, Jimmy Garoppolo destination would be closed. And so in the game of quarterback musical chairs this offseason, it would mean that Jimmy Garoppolo is still left standing as the music stops. So what do the 49ers do? And, you know, alluding to the report you just mentioned uh, where it refers to the release of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that's the only option. Do you think there's any other team that's that's left? I think we're headed towards cutting him, which six months ago just sounds absolutely nuts. But I think it's realistically the only option. I think so, too. And. Lewis, ESPN's Lewis Riddick came out and, you know, he mentioned that Jimmy Garoppolo would be a good fit for the Seattle Seahawks, which that would make sense if Jimmy was released. Like they're not, they're probably not going to do a deal. But at the same time, I could see the 49ers doing a deal with Seattle just because we're not talking about Seattle sending a first round pick. We're not talking about Seattle sending a second round pick. It'll more than likely be a conditional day three pick. And that's not going to move the needle. And we've seen, you know, interdivisional trades. So it's not totally out of the question, but you know, your initial reaction is, why would you trade with the Seahawks? But do the 49ers fear Jimmy Garoppolo? And I think that would answer your question there. So um, I've seen people, you know, and these are just fans, diehard Jimmy stands, say that if Jimmy were to go to Seattle, that he would light up the 49ers on the way back, which uh, that's a lot of hope involved in that one. How many picks I've is seen Fred Warner not- catching in those two games? <laughs> right. I, I've seen practice, and I, I would not put my money on uh, Jimmy beating um, the 49ers up. So, okay, what happens? By uh, it's June 15 now, August 15, who's Jimmy playing for? Ooh, that's a good question. I think August 15th, he's probably still on the 49ers. So, training camp starts, at least for the 49ers, July 29th, I think. But really, the end of July, early August is when training camp begins. The 49ers have no incentive to cut him between now and then unless they plan to use that money for a Nick Bosa or Debo Samuel extension, right? Cause it's, he's not costing anything. His guarantee, his salary isn't guaranteed till the regular season. So I feel like you hold on to him through training camp in hopes that 
a starting quarterback gets injured and maybe you're able to trade him in that way. So maybe by the end of August, I think he ends up a free agent and potentially, you know, with Seattle, maybe Houston is also an option. I know they, they put their belief in Davis Mills, but, you know, is there's a Nick Casario, Jimmy Garoppolo relationship there from the New England days. So would they take a flyer on him if he's released? I could see that happening. So I'd say those are probably the top two teams that come to mind uh, if he is cut. Do you think that there's um, any risk? Because some people feel like because Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster that for whatever reason, the 49ers are handcuffed. But I don't think there's really any risk to keep him on the roster right now. No, I don't think so. And I, I know Kyle Shanahan last week did say that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to practice if he's with the team uh, during training camp. I imagine he'll be in the building, but I doubt he takes any reps on the field, any live reps that involve contact, because you can't risk injury to Jimmy Garoppolo. So I doubt he he does anything meaningful if he's on the team during training camp. Do you, you think he's going to be excused? Do you think he's going to be in SoCal away from the team? you think he's in the building participating? you think he's a full go? I, I, I can't see that. Think about the controversy that it would create. Think about you know, just the moment Trey messes up or not even messes up, but let's say that he plays well and then Jimmy goes in and plays well, then what? Then you're going to have, you know, just the natural Trey looking over his shoulder. And that's just not the dynamic that you want to create um, in the locker room. But I, I don't think we'll get there. Kyle Shannon said all the right things. He said that um, I expect Jimmy to be here, but also at the same time, he said, it, it you know, it wouldn't make much sense for him to be here at the time during minicamp. And um, I just think that, they probably have a plan in place, and we we probably don't have to worry about that. Okay. Trey Lance, healthy finger, throwing spirals. <laughs> Welcome to the offseason chat. Um, so uh, Jennifer Lee Chan, former Niners Nation, Jennifer Lee Chan, that is, uh, she wrote an article, and she was just talking about how, you know, she's been told that Trey is throwing the ball better now that his finger is fully healed, which you would expect, but I think uh, – it's fair to a point just because you wonder how long that finger injury lingered. And, you know, when he first made his offseason appearance, uh, media appearance, Trey Lance, that is, they were like digging in on him, say, hey, how long have you been hurt for? How's your finger doing? How's that affecting your throws? And it's a fair question. Just again, just want to know, you know, if you can't grip the ball, naturally, you're, you're not going to throw a tight spiral. Your throws are going to sell on you. But uh, at the same time, it's June, and that was almost a year ago. So if his finger isn't healed now, we got problems. But, um, I mean, there's there's been so many stories about Trey Lance this offseason from, you know, just making up stories like his arm fatigue and now just the finger thing where I guess what I'm asking is how ridiculous is this going to get? And not just this offseason, but throughout his rookie contract, throughout his career, because the storylines are already um, out of whack, I would say. I'm going to, you know, Jennifer Lee Chan is a Niners Nation alumni, and it's awesome to see the stuff that she's doing. But clearly the, the information here is coming from the 49ers front office or coaching staff or someone inside the building is feeding that information to just put out some positive vibes out there. Because it seems like nationally, everyone's just taking turns shitting on Trey for whatever reason. And so it seems like this is their way of saying, you know, it was the finger last season. That's why some of the passes were. And so it, it just seems it's that type of uh, a move where they're just trying to get the positive buzz out there. And ultimately, it's like you mentioned, it's June. 
let's get to training camp. Let's get pads on. Let's get some contact in and let's see how he looks at that point. But I think the other thing is last year, the passes you would say weren't a tight spiral, right? You'd say they were on the wobblier side. Yeah, for sure. Um, And again, I don't know if that's just because he's trying to overthrow it. I don't know if that's because, you know, he can't grip the ball. Nobody would know unless you were to ask Trey. And even then, the professional athlete, more than likely, he's not going to say um, or he's going to take accountability. He's going to say, no, it was on me. Like, there's no excuses. So um, I don't I don't know that there's too much to read into that. It is it is just nice to know that, you know, as you mentioned, there there has been a lot of negativity toward Trey. And I'm not sure that that's going to stop, but it's refreshing to see just a little bit of a change of pace, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. So um, George Kittle, he joined Kevin Hart and he was talking about he's talking about a little bit of everything. He's talking about uh, Harry Potter. So he was all over the map. But one thing or I guess two things that I said I should say, first of all, Kittle said he invests a couple hundred thousand dollars in his body yearly. Just they were talking about the wear and tear and the physical toll that you know the NFL takes. But one of the interesting parts was uh, he's making it. He's advocating for two bye weeks, which to us, or to I guess I should say, to the TV media, they're probably not interested in that at all. But for a, looking at it from a player perspective, you know, you add a game, why not add a bye week? And he was talking about essentially, you know, whether it's week four, whether it's week thirteen, it's just never enough. And I mean, he has a point. Think about all that they have to go through and their jobs start now. It started in May. So they're going pretty much nonstop. Well, they have a break now. But once you hit July, the end of July, so you said August, September, October, November, like that going through. And, you know, if we're not going to make the playoffs, you get into December and January. That is a long freaking time without a break for your body. So I'd be all for it. And I guess as money aside, what would be the reasons that, you know, the NFL would be against uh, two bye weeks. We, we were talking about this before we hit record. And <clears throat> I was curious, too, because from a fan perspective, from a, you know, perspective from guys like us, I'm all in favor of the extra bye week because it puts a better product out on the field. It just means guys are healthier. It allows more guys to recover from injuries. It allows rest. And ultimately, that means, you know, just better play on the field and better games on Sunday. But Albert Breer was explaining the pushback is from TV networks because now if you have two bye weeks, that means less teams are probably playing on Sundays. And so you end up with a crappier Sunday slate every week. And so TV networks are pushing back like, hey, we want to keep as many good games and as many eyeballs on the screens as possible. I just think you can put about put any game on, any football game on, and you're going to get like 20 million people watching. And that's it's just the power of the NFL. And so I would be in favor of the extra bye week. I think eventually it's going to come when the next CBA negotiations roll around. I think the players are really going to push for it because I think the number of games are going to keep going up. I think it's eventually going to be 18, whatever. So eventually I think we're going to get two bye weeks. The season is just going to get longer, which totally in favor of. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have much of a choice, especially if they do keep adding games, which feels like it's inevitable. But uh, you have to concede something to the players, and that extra bye week would probably be um, – I don't want to say all that they need, but the tipping point. So we're probably a couple of years away from that, but still it, it's on the horizon. There's no doubt about it. All right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about some superlatives and some lists and some rankings for the 49ers. All right, we are back. So we are going to discuss the 49ers most underrated uh, key new addition, their best player who could surprise, surprise this year 
take a leap and who's in a prove it year. So let's start with the most underrated player on the 49ers roster. And this could be, well, this definitely is in the eye of the beholder. So where are you going here? Absolutely. I think there were a couple options, um, but I think it, I think it depends on where you think this player is like publicly perceived. And if you think they're better than that. So a couple of the players I thought of for Jimmy Ward, because I think nationally he's viewed as, you know, maybe a tier two, tier three safety, but I think he's actually a really good player. If his statistics, right, interceptions, fumbles, all that stuff were higher, I think he would be viewed as a better safety. I think he's just really sound. Um, I also thought Juwan Jennings kind of fit the mold, just given how he played down the stretch, uh, was a third down machine, red zone machine, just seeming to make every big play. And just I think he's going to turn out to be an even better player this season. But the player that I chose was Dan Brunskill. Mm. And I think a lot of people, NFC Championship, just remember Aaron Donald and just certain key plays. And I think if you're an offensive lineman, unfortunately, you just get picked on for the plays that you miss, but not the 50, 60 other plays that you, you know, you, you know, do the right thing. And I think for the most part, Daniel Brunskill, considering the fact that he came from the AAF, considering what his path was to this team, his versatility, meaning the different positions he's played, whether it was right tackle last season, primarily right guard. Um, he's played center in the past. I just think he's a really solid player. And I would say he's the most underrated given what he did last season. And I know people, again, are going to nitpick that NFC championship game, but he played Aaron Donald two other times. And I thought he played pretty well. And I thought he was just a solid player throughout the season. And if he's your fourth or fifth best offensive lineman, I think your offensive line is in great shape which was the case last year. And so I'm going to go Dan Brunskill as the most underrated 49 Do you think, I guess, where does he start this year? Because I imagine he's going to start. I just don't know where. They've been hyping up Jake Brindle at center. Um, Jalen Moore's been playing at right guard. So it'll be between those two places, but Brunskill hasn't played at all this summer. So where is he, where is he going to go? I imagine it's right guard. Like you mentioned, I think Jake Brindle is the leading candidate to be center, which if you told me Jake Brendel like two years ago, I'd be like, who the hell is this guy? Right. It feels like he's shot up the ranks extremely fast. Right. Um, but I imagine Dan Brunskill, assuming he's healthy, he's probably the front runner to start at right guard, unless McGlinchey has some sort of setback and they think maybe Dan Brunskill can play a right tackle. But I, I'd imagine he's back where he was last year. I think he's on a one-year contract. So I think the hope is that, you know, Jalen Moore, develops into something and eventually takes that role and maybe Bruns comes off the team in a year. But I think for this year, that's probably where he is. Yeah, that's fair. And the way that they talk about Brunskill, it's hard to imagine him not being in the starting lineup. Um, he has a versatility, as you mentioned. He has He's essentially a veteran on this team anyway, and he's played essentially every position too. So uh, it'd be tough to keep him out of the lineup. And you mentioned the Rams game. It, he's, he's closer to good than he is competent. The problem with Brunskill is those three, four reps a game where he just gets bowled over. Those are tough to ignore and those are tough to get out of your memory. So I understand why, yeah. you know, people are a little hesitant. Um, my most underrated, he's, I mean, he shouldn't be underrated just based on his, what he did last year is Aziz Alshire. Uh, he was legitimately one of the best linebackers in the NFL last year. And that sounds like hyperbole, but I mean, if you just compare his stats, how he played, the impact that he had on the game. He was one of the league leaders in uh, tackles for loss. The only person to have more tackles for loss at linebacker position was Micah Parsons, who also 
half those tackles for loss were like sacks. So um, he had uh, he did have forced fumble. He had a couple sacks. He was good in coverage. I think he could even be better in coverage and could take the next step. Um, he's just such a Al, Al Shire is such a great athlete that you know he's able to be rangy. But I think his impact just came as a playmaker, man. Just getting his hands on passes. Um, he didn't blitz often, but when he did blitz, he generated pressure. He only allowed 5.2 yards per target in coverage, which is outstanding. Um, I mean, I just go down the list. Every, everything about his game last year was very, very impressive. He lived around the line of scrimmage. He was uh, he was a playmaker that they needed next to Fred Warner. And I just think that he – I guess I don't know how much better he can play based on last year, but knowing that that was his first season of like full action playing next to Fred Warren, playing it in front of a, a strong defensive line. I think the sky's the limit for this guy. And um, he, shoot, I think he, he turns 25 in August, which is pretty scary. So um, they, they need to do something as, as far as working out a long-term contract without Shire. Uh, yeah. He, he did give up like he, his completion percentage was high. His com- completion percentage allowed was high. But as, as I mentioned, um, just too often where he just he gave up next to nothing. Like, so he allows a catch, but he's making a tackle right away. Uh, he does, speaking of, he does have to clean up on his missed tackles. He was a little sloppy there. So um, that's that would be the only, like, knock against him. But again, uh, for what you need for, like, the physicality, athleticism, um, playmaking ability, Al Shire is the guy. And uh, just high, high hopes for him. And would not be surprised if he, he does improve just because, again, like, if he dials back his recklessness a bit, uh, the sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah, agree. Given what he did in Seattle in that game with no Fred Warner, when he wore the green dot for the first time and the way he played, I mean, it was phenomenal. And I think that was probably his best game of the season. And I feel like that was the game that kind of put him on the spotlight where people were like, damn, are these Alshire's really come on? And I know the Alshire versus Greenlaw debates are a popular thing on social media, but I think you and I agree we like 51 a little bit more than 57. Um, and I think the one thing is, can he just stay healthy, right? Because he's got that huge elbow brace. It feels like he's got, a, you know, a ton of different injuries he's always battling. So if he can stay healthy this season, I feel like the Niners will end up choosing to give Alshire the long-term, long-term deal over Greenlaw. I mean, I'm not sure that's close, and I know that – you just talked about his injuries, but I mean, Dre Greenlaw has been banged up quite a bit. Too. Also true. Also true. Um, all right. Best player. And this comes down to like four or five guys for every team. Uh, for me, it's been the same since he signed. It's always been Trent Williams. And I know that there's a guy on the other side of the ball who wears number 97, who people are infatuated with. And for good reason, because he is the best player at his position. But for me, there is nobody better at what he does in Trent Williams. Yeah, just watching him work out. I mean, it's insane. He essentially just doesn't get beat. He doesn't make mistakes. And when that is how you describe somebody, I feel like uh, it's tough to put anybody over him. So, I, I mean, there's not much to get into as far as stats-wise go for Trent Williams. But um, let's just say that he's better than everybody else without boring you. And um, it, it's it's pretty impressive that he's doing it at this age. And when you watch from Williams play, you don't you don't see a guy slowing down. You don't look like, oh, he's probably on his last leg. It's like, whoa, he probably has like three or four years left in him at least. And like, who knows, man? I wouldn't be surprised if he plays till he's 40. He is that athletic. And I just don't see him slowing down or getting, you know, obviously he's strong as an ox. But 
Um, just a really fun player to watch. 49ers are just incredibly fortunate to have a guy like Trent Williams. I, I don't want to say fall in their lap, but essentially that's what happened when they acquired him. Uh, so that they acquired the best left tackle in the NFL for like two day three picks, which they're never going to miss. Uh, they were never going to hit on a player who gave them the instant impact Trent Williams did. So uh just knockout home run player love watching Trey Williams that's that's who I think the best player is who who do you got 100% agreed there's I don't think there's really much debate here honestly is he outside of Aaron Donald is he the best non-quarterback in the league like that's the type of player Trent Williams is true I think that's more, a more fun debate to have than who's the best player on the 49ers because yeah again there's three or four guys that are kind of in that tier one right Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Fred Warner, probably are your tier one, like premier, like superstar players in this team. And it feels like Trent Williams might be just like a cut above those guys, the way he plays. And I feel just because he's an offensive tackle and there aren't stats that you can be like, man, he had like a 2000 yard season or he had 150 tackles or whatever. It's hard for people to sort of contextualize how good Trent Williams is. And, you know, PFF probably attempts to do this, right? Trent Williams had the highest graded season they've ever handed out to an offensive tackle. They ranked him the number one player on their top 100 board. Um, and I think the one thing I took away when he spoke last week is the high ankle sprain he had in the NFC Championship game, right? He got hurt in that Packers game. I think he toughed it out and finished it, if I'm not mistaken. And then he came back and obviously played the following week and, I didn't think he was going to miss the game. And I think we all took for granted how serious that injury was. Cause I think he ended up giving up five pressures in that game, got beat a couple times, which remember, yeah. you just don't, you just don't see with Trent Williams. And so that probably played a role, you know, in the loss in that game. And it's just unfortunate that their best player wasn't healthy for that game. Cause I would have loved to see him hundred percent healthy going up against Mon Miller and the edge depth that the Rams had last season. But, yeah, you watch him last season. I think you would agree. One of our favorite things to do after the game every week in the All-22 is to watch Trent Williams just steamroll linebackers, DBs, safeties in the run game. And certainly one of my favorite things to do, and I can't wait to do more of that this season. I think he's got a couple of seasons at this level of play at least. So Trent Williams did not allow a sack last season on 478 passing snaps he so opponent stuff so when you're essentially when your opponent makes a tackle within three yards of line of scrimmage and he allowed that to happen one time on 408 snaps last season so like when i say he doesn't get beat in the most literal sense he does not get beaten it's that just doesn't happen man so uh yeah one of the best players in the nfl so he's one of the best players if not uh, the best player on the 49ers key new addition on the 49ers and Charveris Ward's like the, the name that everybody knows, but you know, they did add some, some core special teamers that they might uh, might have to rely on. Ray Ray McLeod was a big name who was making the rounds last uh, last week, just because he caught a couple deep passes at mini camp. Uh, where are you going here? You, you mentioned, some, you mentioned some good names. I'm going to go, with Kamoko Ture, one of yeah. the pass rushers they added late in free agency. Uh, I feel like it was probably like late April, early May, and it was one of those flyer signings. I'm surprised he was available uh, on the market for that long. A player that had five and a half sacks last season. 
he had higher pressure rates than some of the big names, um, according to Sports Info Solutions. Uh, the big thing with Ture is just the injury history. I think he's played 11 games combined in the last two seasons, so can he stay healthy? But, you know, his 40-yard dash when he came out was in, like, the 80th percentile. I think it was, like, a 4.65. So he's got the speed coming off the edge. And if you just watch him with the Colts last season, he just had – a lot of athleticism, speed off the edge, and you combine that with what Chris Kacerik brings to the table and all the talent that the 49ers have on this defensive line. I feel like Ture is a player that's going to have like an Arden Key-like impact where his numbers are going to pop and you're going to look up and be like, man, this guy has like six or seven sacks this season and he's going to come up with key plays. And I think that's, you know, a key new addition for the 49ers just given, you know, some of the players they lost in free agency at along the defensive line. I think he's going to come in and have a big impact. That's a good one. And I just hope he stays healthy so people can see his pass rushing talent. Uh, that's like the one knock. So I don't know if this is cheating, but I'm going to go with a rookie. I'm going to go with Ty Davis Price. Um, the 49ers need a running back that can stay healthy. They need a consistent running back. Elijah Mitchell, uh, he was fine last year, but I still feel like he left a lot of meat on the bone. And I feel like he didn't really uh, start to figure out how to run at the NFL level until midseason. And even then, he was he was a little inconsistent. So they could not run the ball inside. And that was a big detriment to the offense. So what the Packers did was they just started putting guys on the outside and dared the 49ers to run the ball in between the tackles, like in the in between the guards even. And they couldn't. And uh, it made life a lot more difficult than it needed to be. So I'm going tight average price because, you know, he has he's over 200. 15 pounds he's has a durability he can run inside the tackles and at lsu they had specific running schemes that showed you he could run inside the tackle so i think he's going to be huge for the team i think that he's going to be he's going to finish the season as the league or as the team's rushing leader so i'm going to go tie davis price and I, I don't know what he brings to the table as far as through the air uh, i'm sure he's comfortable catching the ball out of the backfield but we saw when Elijah Mitchell was on the field, like those 27-yard games, that's when or 27 carries games, that's when the 49ers were at their best. When they had a guy that they can rely on, and um, I think Ty Davis is going to be that guy. That's not cheating. I think that's that's actually a pretty good answer. I think I feel like when the pick was made, a lot of people were like, why did they take this player? But I feel like as the season goes on, they're going to realize that he's going to end up probably with more carries than Elijah Mitchell, just given the fact that I think, like you mentioned, they really want a bell count. I think he was exactly that last year at LSU. So, yeah, not a bad answer. Who uh, who do you think is going to surprise this year? I think the player that's going to surprise is Javon Kinlaw. I think – I feel like it, in his rookie season, I feel like he had flashes when he was on the field. Same thing last season. I know he only played a couple games, but – when he was out there, he showed moments like, okay, this guy can stay on the field. This guy was worthy of where he was drafted, just given his size, his freak athleticism. I think this is the healthiest he's been. He's mentioned that. Some of the coaches have mentioned that. He just looks – I know he had the whole deal with Grant Cohen, whatever, but I just feel like he's in a better headspace. I think he's going to have the opportunity. I think he realizes that, you know, going into year three, this is his time to be able to, you know, go ahead and deliver, right? He realizes – you know, time's running out on his rookie contract. And I think given those two things, I think that's the player that's going to surprise the season. I think he's going to exceed what DJ Jones did last year, which was, I think he had the highest run stop win rate of all interior defensive linemen. So I think, I think Javon Kinlaw is going to have a big season this year. 
they kind of need him to, right? So let DJ Jones walk. And when you do that, you're betting on your first round pick because DJ Jones, honestly, I would argue that he gave them first round production last season. Um, Kinlaw has to give them something against the pass though. And that's where I want to see. Um, I want to see if he takes his game to the next level in that sense. So that would be a surprise. I imagine if, you know, he were to, and he doesn't have to morph into like a 10 sack kind of guy, but just to be a guy who gives him consistent pressure uh, would be pretty refreshing. Mine is actually a new addition. And I think it's going to be Charvarius Ward. I don't think people are aware of, um, I don't want to say how good he is because he is young and he's still developing. And I, th- I don't think he's played his best football yet, but when the chiefs use Charvarius Ward on, on an Island, essentially, that kind of tells you what they think of his skill set. Like he's turning and running with essentially every wide receiver that they put him against. And yes, he gave up some catches here and there, but uh, from a competitive standpoint, he was where he needed to be more often than not. The Chiefs do not have the same defensive line as the 49ers. The Chiefs do not have the same linebackers as the 49ers. The Chiefs, I, I just if you just keep going down the list like that, it's it's a totally different situation. And I think Trevor Ward is going to have a chance to make way more plays than he did last season. I also don't think he's going to be in a scenario where he has to play on an island as much, which will even help his numbers. So I think the 49ers are assigned a gym in Traveris Ward. Like he's a press man corner. He's a guy who can play inside and outside and he matches up with essentially any receiver that you put in front of him. So uh, I'm excited to watch him play. I think Traveris Ward's going to bump Emmanuel Mosley to the CB2 role, and that's going to help Mosley as well. And that also takes off pressure, whether it's Jason Red staying healthy, whether it's Ambry Thomas having to slide into the lineup. Um, it's the trickle down effect for signing Traverius Moore is going to be great. So that's my answer. And I, I, uh, very excited for those preseason battles against Brandon. You can Samuel. That one's going to be fun to watch. I think, I think a lot of people didn't realize, like you mentioned how effective Traverius Ward was with, with the chiefs. And I feel like they're going to start to see that, uh, whether it's tr- training camp against 49ers receivers or early in the season, as they go through. Uh, their schedule and they just play more talented receivers and they can just put Ward on, you know, on those guys and have him follow or whatever the case is, right? I feel like they'll really start to see how good of a player he is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, man. I'm, again, I, th- I think he has a chance to be the, one of the 49ers better cornerbacks that um, in the past few seasons. And they've had some some really good production with Richard Sherman 2019, Jason Red 2020. So um, they are due. Okay, who's going to take a leap? Like who's somebody who needs to just – step up and there there are some options here uh where are you going i took this as i think this is a year two player that's going to ascend into a bigger role and just improve upon what he did last season i'm going to amory thomas i think i know the 49ers signed charvarius war i know they've got emmanuel mosley in a contract year i know they re-signed jason brett on a one-year deal but amory thomas played meaningful snaps down the stretch of the season he had some big plays um and i think he just got better he didn't play you know college football uh the year going into the nfl draft i believe and then so last year really you know was i think him getting acclimated back into just football and playing the quarterback position and and like i said he just as kyle shanahan alluded to it just got better as the season went on um i know there's competition but i think there's potential for him to still play right emmanuel mosley's missed time the past few seasons um, I do think there's still a chance where they slide kick mostly inside and maybe every Thomas plays outside in nickel situations. 
Um, and so I think there's going to be opportunity for him. And I think, you know, one of the things the 49ers beat writer saw was Amory Thomas was a little bigger, thicker, came in a little bit more bulked up. Uh, he was a, a press man corner at Michigan. So I think, you know, having the size to be able to do that at the NFL is, is something he's done this offseason. So I think, I think he's going to take a leap this year. Um, even though I feel like people think that the cornerback position is just, you know, has a lot of competition already. Yeah, that's good competition, by the way. Like competition is going to bring out the best in these guys. So Henry Thomas, a year after a year off of football, last year, I mean, the fact that he was able to play toward the end of the season probably speaks volume to his competitiveness. So if he's able to give them anything this year with the cornerbacks that they have on the roster, it would kind of be uh, icing on the cake. So uh, interested to see what he brings to the table. They Again, between him and Samuel Womack, like if they can have one of those guys step it up, uh, that would be huge. Um, hopefully they don't need it. Obviously, you know, you want Jason Brett to stay healthy, but – I don't, I don't know that they're counting on Brett to stay healthy. And I don't know if that's fair to count on him to stay healthy. I am going to stick with the running backs here. And I'm going to go Trey Sermon. And this is a guy who, I mean, you, it would be tough for a rookie to play. I don't want to say any worse, but to have like a less, any less of an impact in a season than Trey Sermon did. So um what has to happen this year is just he has to be more decisive he has to be uh he has to basically just put his foot in the ground and go stop you know messing around the backfield and i think having to find out the hard way seeing that your team drafted a running back the next year in the same round after drafting you um he he kind of found out the hard way of how to run in the nfl and i think this time around he's going to be better i, I don't think the 49ers really had a running back who could produce out of the backfield for them consistently under Kyle Shanahan. And I think that changes this year. So uh, I think Trey Sermon's going to be even better than, no, I guess here's how I should say. I think the running back rotation is going to go Ty Davis Price, Trey Sermon, and Elijah Mitchell. I think Elijah Mitchell gets phased out this year, which is kind of crazy considering the year he just had and how much volume he had. But I think Sermon's going to be the guy who helps him out of the backfield on third downs, on passing downs. And he becomes Trey Lance's security blanket which eventually leads him to a bigger role and perhaps even more carries. Do you think we're going to get anything out of Trey Sermon this year? I actually think you're right. I think they're actually going to use Trey Sermon more than they did last year. I, for whatever reason, you know, I think – I forget. It was uh, Bobby Turner, I think, alluded to it that uh, – maybe he told ESPN's broadcast. It was one of the national TV broadcasts that, you know, they were trying to change Trey Sermon's running style. Right. He's this east and west runner and they're trying to get him to go one cut north and south. And I feel like that type of a transition takes a season, an off season, right? And obviously as a rookie, you have your hands full and you're just drinking from the fire hose and maybe things slow down from a little bit this year. And I feel like Kyle Shanahan just likes using a stable of running backs. And I think Trey Sermon's gonna add to that. I don't think he's gonna be as effective as Ty Davis Price or Elijah Mitchell. I think he's clearly the third running back in that you know group but i do think there's a role for him on this team and hopefully that's the case because man they traded up for him on day two and that would be just not good if you know he's in year two and still still not dressing on game day yeah man the jokes would be endless if he's not dressing uh this year but all right, last one before we get out of here. Who's an improver year? Like who has to – it's a make-or-break year. 
if they are not doing anything and they're off the roster, uh, team moves on from them, who do you got? Ah, this is a player that 49ers Twitter thinks their, you know, their play is actually worse than they are. I feel like this is a player that consistently goes viral for their screw-ups. It's Mike McGlinchey. Coming off of an injury, you're on a fifth-year option. You're a player that was drafted in the top 10. Don't think they've quite lived up to top 10 status, but has clearly been a good NFL starter. Um, is a starting right tackle on a, you know most teams and would be the starting right tackle on this team if, if healthy. Biggest question is, how does he look coming off that injury? And then two, what type of contract – would you sign Mike McGlinchey to after the season? If he's healthy for 17 games, plays well, et cetera, because you've already got an expensive left tackle. So I think Mike McGlinchey's in a big year. I mean, he's got a lot to play for this season, and I think that's the guy that a lot of people have their eyes on. Uh, Mike McGlinchey just turned 28. Obviously, he's still on his rookie contract. Well, this will be the fifth year. Um, he played 16 games in 2018, played 16 games in 2020. Missed four games in 2019. Uh, you remember that's where him and Staley both went down. And then last season, half the season was cut short off a season-ending Achilles injury. So, man, wait, was it was it an Achilles? No, it wasn't an Achilles. Was it it was like a quad. It was a that's core right. quad injury, which right. if I remember, <laughs> I thought someone else had it. Maybe on the 49ers, and then they ended up retiring or like not returning from it. So it's like a serious injury. I mean, he wasn't walking for a large period of the offseason. So so to your point, the reason that it should be viewed as a make or break year for McGlinchey is because look at the ta- look at their draft. Like they added a couple of tackles who they feel can play both inside and outside. But if McGlinchey isn't up to snuff or doesn't return to like the level he was pre-injury, then they could move on from him and they just develop a rookie behind him. And they were able to get away with Daniel Brunskill, uh, Tom Compton, some you know lesser tackles who you know aren't as athletically gifted as Mike McGlinchey, so I imagine uh, they'll be fine with one of the rookies down the line. But a big one for McGlinchey, and, and that kind of leads into my answer as well. Emmanuel Mosley, he's in the final year of his contract. He will be an unrestricted free agent after the end of this season. 49ers drafted Samuel Womack. They drafted Terry Castro Fields last year. Ambry Thomas, Diamador Lenore. This offseason, there are some veterans out there. Um, next offseason, I should say, there are some veteran cornerbacks. And if 49ers want to make a trade now that they have a quarterback on a rookie contract, hopefully they take advantage of that, uh, they can start to get more aggressive in free agency and, and pay a cornerback. So this is huge for Mosley. I mentioned he is CB2. He has a chance to really make a name for himself this season. I don't really have many issues with his play. I think he's, again, he's another guy who's in position and is competitive a lot. Um, He just needs to start turning some of those pass breakups and interceptions. Like if he wants to really shake the CB2 uh, role, CB2, um, yeah, if he were to do that. So he had a career high in pass breakups last season. But again, he's he's had pass or throws that hit him in the hands and he just, you know, he doesn't catch or just one interception in each of his three seasons. That has to get better. So. He, if if we're ranking him on like on a scale of one to ten, he's probably like a, a comfortable seven. But if he wants to be paid like a number one cornerback, he's gonna have to, you know, turn some of those, start generating turnovers essentially. So, um, big fan of Mosley. He's still young. I still don't know if we've seen the best of him. I love the way he plays the run. He just has to be 
he he just has to prove that he can guard number one receivers on a consistent basis. Like he's done it occasionally against like the DK Metcalfs and the Tyler Lockett's, but um, not to the point where you'd feel comfortable putting him on an island like the Chiefs were uh, Charvarius Ward last year. So um, yeah, that'll do it for us, man. That was a good combo. We had a, a lot of options, and the 49ers, they have a deep roster, which gives us a lot of content, and we can do you know have these interesting type of discussions. So. Um, that'll do it for us. As I mentioned, please rate, subscribe, review, wherever it is you get your podcast, leave us five stars. Um, we are deep to the off season as well, but we're going to keep up, keep coming up with these, you know, uh, fun topics and debates. Follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show, Akash yourself. Follow me at Twitter at AKS, A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. Guess I can't spell my name today. Uh, <laughs> appreciate everyone. Rate, subscribe, review to Niners Nation podcast network. Appreciate everyone for listening through the offseason i know this next month is really where 49ers aren't practicing aren't doing anything and then we'll just kick it into high gear as we get rolling into the season before we go uh, before we end the show u.s open you got picks you making bets what's the man um i don't know yet i really haven't looked into it i know it starts tomorrow so um I don't know. I I will. I, honestly, after John Ram's speech, it'll probably be him. So <laughs> I saw that. That was pretty. That was pretty awesome. Uh, I liked him sticking up. Who do you got? I feel like you can't go wrong betting on Cam Smith these days. I mean, his short game is unreal. The course looks tough as hell. I mean, the rough looks super thick. So I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to watch. Real question: Did you bet on Live Golf last week? No, I didn't. Um, I did hit the horse race, um, hit yeah. the triple crown, a uh, nice little plus 250 there, but no, no live. Um, I don't know. It just anything that's that feels attached to feels kind of dirty. So that, that, that is fair. That I, uh, is 100% fair. Kind of kind of stay away from that. What, how do you feel about this? Like, is this is this going to be a thing or is this going to be a flop? I actually think it's going to be a thing just because they have unlimited cash and it, it's weird to talk about because the cash comes from such like a dirty like situation and so i'd feel weird like playing and you know if you were dustin johnson or phil nicholson or whatever it, it feels weird but i think because they have unlimited funds i think it's just going to keep going and i feel like they're going to attract more players away from the pga tour and i think it's here to stay tune in next week for more golf talk baby uh, as always go niners